We're going to be looking at the third chapter of the book of Esther, but before we go there, would you turn with me to the book of Romans? Book of Romans chapter 8. I'd like to read just a few verses of Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 31. As we look at what is going to be taking place in chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 of the book of Esther, it is disheartening, no doubt, if you were in that land at that time and that edict from the king goes out that you are going to be destroyed. As a Jew, you're going to be destroyed. And the same could be said about an edict going out that all the believers in Christ Jesus, all those that hold to the truth of the gospel are going to be put on a list and they're going to be executed. It would be disheartening. Well, turn with me here to the book of Romans for just a moment. And I want to read, beginning with verse 31, some glorious things that the Lord has to say. The outcome, whatever the outcome. And if we didn't have chapter 4, 5, 6, and 7, we could still surmise the outcome of what was going to take place. Because the Lord has always shared in His Word, I will never leave my people nor forsake my people. All that the Father giveth me shall come unto me, and he that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out forever. You know, we find out that the church, all of God's people, all the lost sheep are in Christ Jesus before the world was ever created. That's why he could be and was the lamb slain. He was the substitute for his people even before Adam ever sinned. So there was a people that... We're going to have to be born and have to be redeemed, and that's what we find in Christ. Well, notice here, what shall we then say to these things? Now, that's all the things that have gone on before. Chapter 1 through chapter 8 at this point, what shall we say? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, we're going to have some of that going out through the realm of Ahasuerus' Persian Empire. If God be for us, who can be against us? But you know, it still doesn't cause them not to be nervous. There's going to be a lot of trial, and there's going to be a lot of fear, and a lot of that. But God has said that uh, if God be for us, who can be against us? Now, those who, if they had been executed, if they had been God's people, if they had been believers, death would have been not... Uh, something to fear but it had been simply a door into his presence that's how he uses it I think of our sister Joe it wasn't a dreadful thing it was entering into the presence of the Lord so and then he goes on to say he that spared not he that spared not he that freely gave his son he that spared not his own son but delivered him That's an interesting phrase. He delivered him over to the cross. He delivered him over to crucifixion. He delivered him over to judgment. But delivered him up for us all, all that are in Christ Jesus. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now, if he gave us the best, the rest is his on the plate. The best was given to redeem his people. The rest is given to us. It's without 
comment, without exception. He's going to take care of that. Now let's follow that thought as we go over here to the book of Esther. That God is going to freely give all things. He is going to be there. He is going to be in charge. Even though we see them through the lattice, we're going to find out that He is working all things for His glory and for the glory of the church. So over here in the book of Esther, chapter 3. The book of Esther, chapter 3, we have the beginnings of uh, a situation that I don't think anybody would be interested in going through. I know the people were in some fear about what was going to take place as it is brought out here in the book of Esther chapter 3. Beginning with verse 7, it says, In the first month, that is in the month Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast her, they cast lots, to determine what day it would be the best day or the lucky day, that's what it really means, the lucky day from a standpoint of an unbeliever to execute what he wanted to do. And we find out that it fell on the 13th day, uh, uh, the month to month, and to the 12th month, that is the month Adar. And Haman said unto the king Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad, dispersed among the people in all provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws, therefore it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. And I'll pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have charge of the business. 10,000 talents is 375 tons of silver. And in today's value, it was $240 million dollars that Haman was willing to pay to have the Jews exterminated from the land. Now, he's willing to put up the money himself. Well, we get into verse 13, and we find out he's also going to count that whoever he destroyed is going to collect their possessions. So, if it please the king, let us destroy them. I'll pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have charge of the business to bring it to the king's treasury. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of the Hamadatha, the Agite, the Jew's enemy. And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given to thee, the people also, to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. Then were the king's scribes, then were the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day of the first month. There was written according to all Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants and to the governors, and were over every province, and to the rulers of every people of every province, according to the writing thereof. And to every people, after their language, in the name of King Ahasuerus, was it written and sealed with the king's ring. And the letters were sent by post into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month Adar, and to take the spoil of them for a prey or for a payment. The copy of the writing for a commandment was to be given in every province, was published unto all people that are sh- they should be ready against the day. And the post went out, being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given by in Shushan the palace, 
And the king and Haman sat down to get drunk, oh, to drink. But the city of Shushan was perplexed. All right, let's look at this passage of Scripture, but let us look at it from the standpoint that God is absolutely in charge of all things. You know, if we are not settled on that issue, if we're not settled on God being over all things, we're going to have an issue with everyday problems. And we find out that though they had this, this sent out, and though it troubled them, we find that there was enough composure in the land, especially by Mordecai, after he heard the comment, and he calls on a person who has been put into the right place at the right time. His cousin, Esther. And he says, and he knows this for a fact, you've been put in this place for such a time as this. She's not there on mistake. She's there for such a time as this. God had already laid out the carpet for what was going to happen here. He's already prepared for what's going to happen. And he's prepared it years in advance. He's had a young person, a person born in Israel, taken captivity by Nebuchadnezzar's troops, brought into the, uh, the area of the Nebuchadnezzar's great um, kingdom, and she is brought to a position where she becomes the wife of King Ahasuerus. If you don't think there's some hand of God in that, there's some hand of God in that. All right. Now, I, I just want to read a few verses of Scripture that share with us what God is doing always. He has never had this an exception to the rule. One of the greatest things that believers can do is read and exalt God in Scripture. To exalt Him in His position and in His grace. To exalt Him for what He is doing. To exalt Him for what He has done in the past, what He's doing now, and what He will do in the future. That He will lose none. That He has purpose to save all His sheep from their sins. He has had that purpose from uh, old eternity, and He is continuing to carry out that purpose, and it will be carried out and then all of new eternity, he will carry it out. So we're going to look just at a few verses of the Scripture that go right hand in glove with what we're reading here in the book. Great, um, it looks like a great tragedy. You know, if we didn't know better, it would be. There's going to be some people that think it is. Even people in Shushan the palace are having difficulties with it. You know why? Because their shopkeepers have a mark on their head. They're lawyers. We will read in scriptures that when Nebuchadnezzar took the people out of Israel, he took the best of the best out of Israel and left the common people. He had an eye on putting these people in high places. They are the shopkeepers. They are the lawyers. They're the doctors. They're the babysitters. They're the school teachers. They're the people in the land that know something and Haman cannot handle it. Haman is going to do everything he can to get rid of them and you know with a king that don't think for himself it was just simple to twist his mind into believing it's a good thing to do. Well before we get to that point turn with me if you would back to the New Testament to the book of John. The book of John chapter 3. The book of John chapter 3. I am reminded of as it was brought out again Sunday, about Pilate. Don't you know what I could do to you? 
And Jesus said, you have no power over me except that which is given. And so King Ahasuerus is in the same place. And so is Haman. And so is Mordecai. You could do nothing except it be given to you. We couldn't draw breath except it be given to us. Well, in John chapter 3, we read this about God's great purpose. God's great purpose. And it tells us here in John chapter 3 and verse 27. John chapter 3 and verse 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing. That's a pretty blanket statement. A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, Peter, but my Father which is in heaven. So a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Now, as most of you know, I've been discussing an issue like this for a, with a young man for quite a long time. And I had to ask him again, how can you separate the will of man from the fall? How can you take it out of the fall and have it in a good position when everything else is so bad? You know, <coughs> the young man told me, I, 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 I can't explain it. You know, how can... And so, when we really get down to it, we can do nothing except that we're given of the Father. And here we have this tragedy. It looks like it's coming. The, the messages have been sent out. The posts have been sent out. And the exact day has been set for the extermination of all the Jews in this kingdom. And there is no messing around. They understood that they were in a plight. Well, we find out that nothing is going to happen except, first of all, God is involved in it. Well, let's look at another verse of Scripture. And this one is over in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. This passage of Scripture is quoted by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. How much of the Old Testament is quoted in the book of Romans is astonishing. And here is an Old Testament passage that he brings into his message that he shares with us in the book of Romans. In Exodus chapter 9, now, this is God talking to a king. This is a God talking to a very powerful king. This is God talking to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. This is God speaking to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who says he is ruling over all the Jews, and he has them in his hand, and he will do with them as he sees fit. And yet God speaks to him in Exodus chapter 9, verse 14, and says this, For I will at this time... Send all my plagues upon thine heart. Now, I thought I'd never read that word heart before. <laughs> I've skipped over it, I guess. I will send all my plagues upon thine heart and upon thy servants and upon thy people that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. For now I will stretch out my hand that I will smite thee and thy people with pestilence and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. You know, I can just see Pharaoh as God is speaking through Moses to this man, and he says, I don't believe it. I don't believe he can do that. I just don't believe that. Well, that's exactly what a lost man will say about the Word of God. I don't believe that. 
And they say it all the time. One of the beauties, glorious things of the new birth is we are permitted to believe God, to believe his word, to believe it, that it is the word of God. Going on here, it says in verse 16, and in very deed for this cause, can you imagine the preacher telling Pharaoh, king of Egypt, this is God's message to you, for this very reason have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. Paul brings this up in the book of Romans as he's declaring the gospel of God Almighty in performing all his works according to his purpose, raising up a people. He has a people that are found in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world, and he will save every one of them. And all of them are unwilling to have this great salvation, but he will convince them in the new birth. All right, it goes on and says, I've raised thee up for this very purpose. Now we're going to get over into the book of Esther, and we're going to find out these words are just directed to King Ahasuerus and Amon too. I've raised you up for this purpose. You weren't born for some odd purpose. You were born for this purpose. I have you born for this very purpose, King Ahasuerus. And Haman, you too. You are a mean guy, and you're a dastardly guy, but I've raised you up for a purpose. I'm going to show my power in you. You're going to think you can do all of this, but when God is not in favor of it, nothing will be done. We're going to see that as the scriptures develop and share with us. Okay, over in the book of First Chronicles chapter uh, 29. First Chronicles chapter 29. God loves us to praise him with his own word. Exalt him, almighty God, all-powerful God, God that rules over all things. Oh, help me to understand it and help me to believe it. But you do it anyway. All right, in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness. Oh, to be settled on that. I'm so thankful I can go to church and hear about the greatness of God. I don't have to go to church and hear how God's trying to get something done. I can go to church and find out he's already done something. And it's a glorious thing on the behalf of lost people. It goes on to say, and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. This is, O Lord, is the, thine, O Lord, is the victory. Thine, O Lord, is the majesty over all that is in heaven and in earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. So when we're reading through the book of Esther, if we didn't know the results, if, if it was being revealed to us as we went through it, I, I don't know how that would work. <laughs> but if, it, if we read a passage and, and lo and behold, the next chapter was given to us. And then we read it and had some comprehension about it. And then the next chapter. Well, in reality, God reveals his word to us like that. We're growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we have seen something. And lo and behold, God is merciful to allow us to see some more of it. And hear this great statement about God. Thine, O Lord, is all of this. We exalt you. We hold you high. Oh, my goodness, that no man may glory in your presence. 
King Ahasuerus thought he's a pretty neat guy, and so did Haman. You know, after they sent out that edict, the Bible says they sat down and drank. They're going to have a party. No thought about the consequences of their actions. But God is not put off by this. In fact, we find that God has ordained this, that he might show his great power, just as he did in raising up Pharaoh, and just as he did in putting those children of Israel into servitude. It was not a secret. What did he tell Abraham? He told Abraham, your people are going to go down to Egypt and they're going to be there for 400 years in, in servitude, in slavery. It wasn't a secret. God told them what was going to happen. Guess what had happened? You know what happened on the 400th day, or 400th year to the very day? They got out, just like he said. God is in charge of all that. All right, turn with me, if you would, to the Psalm, Psalm 62. Psalm 62. And this theme goes throughout the Scriptures. We're just touching on a few verses of Scripture that share with us that God is in complete and overall charge of all things. For this very purpose have I raised thee up, Pharaoh. For this very purpose have I raised thee up, Ahasuerus. For this very purpose have I raised thee up, Haman. I raised you up to show my power in you. And we're going to follow that out and we're going to find out what they ordained or what they proposed, God disposed of it in such a glorious manner. Psalm 62, and there in verse 11, the scripture says, God has spoken once. Twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Now, I'm not sure that this is what that exactly means, but when, where I grew up, just down below us, south of our house, was an orchard, and in that orchard were some huge poplar trees, and in the evening, us kids used to get out there and say things, and it was echoed right back at us. We thought that was so cool. Now, there was just a little delay in that echo. We'd sat, shout, and it would come back, and we thought that, well, once I've heard it, what did it say? God has spoken once. Twice have I heard this, that the power belongeth unto God. Even in the echo, he's telling Power belongs unto God. I heard it the second time. First time he said it. Second time it echoed back at me. All right, let's look over here in the book of Jeremiah. Book of Jeremiah chapter 27. Now, it was not a mistake that Nebuchadnezzar came down to Israel. It's not a mistake that Nebuchadnezzar hauled off a bunch of those Jews. God had already told him this is going to happen. In the book of Jeremiah chapter 27... I think we read this last time we met, but I want to read it again. Jeremiah chapter 27, verse 5. Scriptures share this. You know, just a sideline, I like the, the Spanish word, hace frío. You know what that means? He makes it cold. They use a... a uh, their language is based a lot on some prospect of God... He makes it cold. Ase caliente. He makes it hot. He's the only one that can control the weather. He has this in his hands. All right. In the book of Jeremiah 27, verse 5, I have made the earth, God speaking, Lord of hosts, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, verse 4, The man and the beast that are upon the earth ground, 
by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and have given it unto whom it seemed meet unto me. Now why did the pilgrims land at Plymouth Rock? You know, I read in a book one time that Columbus was very close to the eastern seaboard of the what we call the United States today, and he was directed by a flock of birds and ended up down in the Caribbean islands. And the person who wrote that said, if he'd have landed here, we'd have been a Catholic nation. What God's providence. Now, Jeremiah said, I have all the land under my control. It's my outstretched arm. Now notice verse 6. And now have I given all these your lands, Israel, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Well, my goodness, you'd almost be called a heretic at times for saying that Nebuchadnezzar was the servant of the Most High God. I raise up kings and I dispose of kings. The king's heart is in my hands and I turn it whithersoever I will. Like rivers of water, irrigation ditches, I turn the king's heart whithersoever I will. All right? And he goes on to tell us here, my servant and the beasts of the field have I given him also to serve him. And all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the very time of his land come and then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him and it shall come to pass that the nation and kingdom which shall not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon that they will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon that nation will I punish saith the Lord with the sword and with the famine and with the pestilence until I have consumed them by his hand what a statement that God makes here about Nebuchadnezzar and then we could go back right back there and say well Nebuchadnezzar collected Mordecai Nebuchadnezzar collected Esther and Nebuchadnezzar collected a whole bunch of other folks and brought them down to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar collected Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar collected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar collected all those folks that we read about in the book of Daniel. They were collected by Nebuchadnezzar, brought out of Israel. He destroyed the temple. He destroyed the walls of Jerusalem. And then we find Cyrus, 70 years later, saying, okay, you can go back and rebuild. Why? that the word of Jer- the Lord by Jeremiah might be fulfilled. It's a miracle. <laughs> you couldn't design it better. God has taken it such an architectural view of this world that he is going to accomplish everything he has ever set to do, and that is he is going to save all his people from their sins. He'll take care of it. He has promised it. He will lose none of them. Over in the book of, well, Jeremiah's second book, the book of Lamentations, my goodness, the lamenting of Jeremiah over Israel's state. Jeremiah, or excuse me, Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 37. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 37. 
it's like saying, I'm going to do something, and then the Lord says, uh, mm, he commanded it not, it's not going to happen. Well, let's just read this. Who is he that saith, and it cometh to pass, when the Lord commandeth it not? All the paper that was used to write all the edicts to go out into every part of the empire, all of the work that went into it, all of the scribes that were used, all of the posts that were used, they're decrying the fact that we're going to do away with the Jews, and God said, it's not going to happen. He struck across it. It went out and he struck across it. It's not going to happen. I'll take care of it. I will provide. I really appreciated a verse of scripture in the book of Luke. Recently it was brought to my attention, Brother Mike and his lessons. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 and verse 53. And Mike, you can just go through it as slow as you want. <laughs> Luke chapter 22 and verse 53. When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour in the power of darkness. All right. It's your turn. I'm dropping my hands. I'm giving you permission. You will do what is required. As we read over the book of Acts, he was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And you, by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. It's your hour. Now, many times, I don't know how many times, prior to this in the gospel, they attempted to take him, but could not. It was not his time. Now it is his time, and he is permitting him. The Son of Man goeth as it was determined. No man takes my life from me. I lay it down on myself. He is in charge of the whole thing. And that's how he could say, as being God, to Pilate when he says, Don't you know what I could do to you? And Jesus said, You have no power over me except to be given you. You know what? The next verse says, From then on, Pilate tried to get him um, away from crucifixion. To not to do that. Oh, he was struck by the power of God right between the forehead. All right. Last verse along this line. Would you turn with me to the book of James? James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Now, every spiritual blessing comes from the same place, but everything, every act of Ahasuerus and every act of Haman has been prescribed by Almighty God. I permit you, I per, in fact, I hope to quit saying that sometime because it's more than permitting, it is purposing. And here it says, every good gift, James chapter 1 verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Where's the connecting verse to that Malachi chapter 1 I am God I change not therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed and then in verse 18 of that same verses of that same chapter of his own will begat he us 
by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation, of his own will. In this whole scheme of things, he has people that he is going to give the new birth to. And that's why we have the activities going on over there in the book of Esther. It's going to turn out for the glory of God and for the glory of the church. Now, in going back to Esther chapter 3, we find very early on in this chapter that Haman has a problem. And Haman has an inherent problem. And we looked at it one time and said, it just fulfills the verse of Scripture in Romans chapter 8 where the natural man is enmity with God. I mean, you read Haman and you just see he's enmity with God. We also find another man, and we brought this out. There was another man that had enmity with God, and that was Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was delivered from his enmity. Haman left this earth with all his enmity. I will not have this man rule over me. Now, Nebuchadnezzar took all the nobles. This tells us in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 27. He took all the nobles out of Israel. But turn with me to the book of 2 Kings. As we look here in 2 Kings who he took. Who he took. These are the people that Haman has requested the death of. In the book of the of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 24. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get stuck on a word or a series of words in a verse. I know it's in the Bible, and I'm so thankful that I can bounce that off of my bride. And then she starts thinking and bringing up words, and then, oh, I got it. Okay, well, here it is. Nebuchadnezzar carried off, verse 14 of Second Kings 24, and he carried away all Jerusalem, all the princes, and all the mighty men of valor, even 10,000 captives, and all the craftsmen and smiths. These are the people that Haman wants to destroy. None remain save the poorest sort of people in the land. And he carried away Jehoiakim to Babylon, and the king's mother, and the king's wives, and his officers, and the mighty of the land. Those carried he into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. And all the men of might, even 7,000, and craftsmen, and smiths, a thousand, all that were strong and apt for war, even them the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. Notice who he brought. And what did he do with what we would say the drags of the people? They became Samaritans. He sent some people back to intermarry with them. They're no longer what would be classified among those Pharisees as Jews any longer. So Nebuchadnezzar pulled these people out. Who is left? We know Haman is raising a charge against these people. And he, he begs that these people, and he says, there's some people in the land that he doesn't even give a name. He just goes over and says, there's some people that have a different law and they're not, uh, they're not tied in like we are. Well, who's, who's doing the work? Who's the craftsman? Who's the lawyers? Who's the doctors? Who's the great men of war? And this is who Haman wants to destroy out of there. 
and he will pay $240,250,000 in today's dollars to have that done. And he said, I'll pay it myself. I think probably he had a pretty generous job, don't you? He is put into quite a position. Haman is given permission by the king without a question. You know, it's surprising that King Ahasuerus didn't ask, who are these people? Are, are there any in, in, around here? Is, is there any in my court? And he would have to answer, yes, there is. His wife. He never asked a question. A dangerous person is one that is unattentive to business, bewitched by advisors, and takes no time to examine the truth for themselves. That's a dangerous person. And King Ahasuerus is a dangerous person. God has raised him up to be a dangerous person. God has permitted him to do this, and we're going to find the outcome. Do with them as it seemeth good unto you, is what we find in the Scriptures. And so, this whole parade gets started. We find out what's going to happen. Destroy. I like verse 13. Look at verse 13 there of, uh, I don't like it. I mean, it has quite an illustration here, I should say, because in chapter 3 and verse 13 of this passage of Scripture, it says to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish. Now, that's pretty emphatic. All Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, and to take the spoil of them for prey. Now, they're going to have about a year for all this to happen because this is a large kingdom. Persian Empire is huge. So it's going to take a long time to get all of this information out and then to get back that it's all been taken care of. Destroy, kill, and the results are in this publication. King Haman, the king and Haman and the court sat down to drink. And we find out, as we follow this out, God does rule. As Pilate was told one more time by the Lord Jesus, you could do nothing except to be given of God. We have all the designs, but they can't be fulfilled. Who is it that would propose and God would say, not going to happen that way. We do that all the time. Aren't you thankful that God intervened with us when we said it's not going to happen that way? And God said it is. It's going to happen just that way. Now, I cannot put myself, I try, but I can't put myself in the lives of those people when they get this message. But the scriptures do tell us in verse 14 of this, and the copy of the writing for the commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people that they should be ready against that day. And the post went out, and being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan the palace, and the king and, and Haman sat down to drink. But notice the last phrase. But the city Shushan was perplexed. Does he realize who's going to be executed? His doctor. The guy that's keeping his books. What a deal. And then we find as we travel through the next three book chapters, I believe it is, 
how God is going to shuffle everybody in the right direction. And in the end, a lady is going to be put into position years beforehand, comes up and approaches a king, knowing that she could die in an instant, but she approached him and brought out the truth. And then we'll have the rest of the story. All right, we'll stop there for tonight.